so I'm part Scottish and I wanted to practice my Scottish accent because I really like speaking. I, I, I don't think I have a good one at all, but I wanted to try. And I got this book. Um, I got Harry Potter, Flaster Stone, Scott's edition. And so I'm going to read it. Um, and yeah, and that's my plan. So are you ready? Well, I'm reading it. So chapter on the laddie who lived. Mrs. and Mrs. Dursley and number four of Privet were proud to say that they were gay no more than give her much. They were the least folk you would just just would be tangled up with anything uncle uncle or weird because they just didn't have we have as like ye and like yon. Mr. Dursley was a hardenbummer of a firm called Grunnins that made drills. He was a muckle, beefy bulking man with a stubby, wee craggy, although he did have a gay muckle Mauser, Mrs. Mauser. Mrs. Dursley was a skinny maleki, blonde hand woman whose craggy was just about twice as long as their folks, which was awful hardy as they spent, say, muckle time kicking, kicking over. Garden fences nibbing at the neighbors. Their dresses had a wee son called Dudley, and they, to them, they're one uh, brownier laddie in the whole world. The Dursleys had often anything they often they wanted, but as well as having anything they want, they had a secret, and there was fear with that somebody would nib it out. They did not think they could throw it if anybody phoned out about the porters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Darcy's sister, but the but the Anne Hannah seen that either in a long while to tell the truth, Mrs. Darcy pretended she didn't have a sister because her sister and young numpton of a husband of hers was as undarsliest as they were possible to be. The Darcy's were fit to think with the neighbors would say if the potters ever showed up in the street. The Dursleys knit that the potters had a wee son as well, but they hadn't ever seen him. This latter was another good reason for keeping the potters away. They didn't want Dudley having anything to do with a barn like that young. When Mr. and Mrs. Dursley got to to bed on their dredged grace Tuesday, or story streets, there was nothing but the drony lift outside to let out on that uncle and weird things would be soon be happening all over the country. Mr. Dursley chanted to himself as he wa- as he walled out his man-stretched man gray tie for work, and Mrs. Dursley gabbed away <laughs> blathly as she was the skirling Dudley into his hatch Name of them catching sickin' on a muckle journey hooled flickering past the window. <laughs> I don't know what that was. At half past eight, Mr. Dursley lifted his briefcase, gad Mrs. Jersey a wee kiss in the cheek and racked stone to get Dudley a kiss but couldn't because Dudley was no gonna his dinger and plastering the walls with silly. 
What'll we, Rogan? Launched Mr. Dursley as he left the house. He got into his car and backed out to number four's, uh, to number four's drive. It was on the corner of the street that he got in the first glimpse, glimpsed that something wasn't right. A bondress read in a map. For a second, Mr. Dursley didn't attack it. What? Take in what he'd seen. Then he jerked his head round and had another kick. Kick, click, click, click. There was a tabby cat standing on the corner of Privet Lawn, but there wasn't a map in sight. What was wrong with him? Maybe it was a pliskin on the disc. On the lake. Mr. Dursley blinked and glowered on the bonders. It glowered back. As Mr. Dursley drove around in the corner and up the road, he watched the boundaries and, and the mirror. It was no reading on the sign. It was no reading the sign that said privilege. No. Kicking and kicking at the sign. Just boundaries. Baldrins couldn't uh, read maps or signs. Mr. Dursley guided himself a shake and put the boundaries out, out of his head. And he drove to the tune he thought of nothing apart for a muckle order of drills and he was hoping to get the day. But on the edge of the town, drills were haunting far his mind by something else, something else. As he went in the usual morning traffic jam, he couldn't help noticing that there seemed to be a wean of folk gone about about busking up in Uncle Claus. Fucking close. Mr. Dursley couldn't have thought for. <laughs> that were Uncle Claus. Uncle Claus. The things you saw on your folk nowadays. He jowled, jowled this with some glacic nutrition. He drilled. He drilled. Dryled his fingers in the steering wheel and he glowered at the borak and engines standing no far, no far away. They were whispering together in excitement and it all excited. Mr. Dursley was gonna to see that I know or them wanna ah that young themselves hear <laughs> that money there had to be altered than he. He was, and when emerald green cloak is all, that she cannot. But then it struck Mister Dursley that this was probably just what a one of the stupid cons. Obviously, the folk were out collecting for charity. Ah, that would be it. The traffic moved on, and after a wee minutes, Mister Dursley drove into the car park at Grannon's, thinking only about drills. This is a lot. <laughs> I don't even know if this is accurate, but it's really funny. Mr. Dursley uh, sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it a bit harder to think of about his drills in the morning. He didn't see the foolets swooping past in bright daylight, though folk Folk doon in the street did. Foot doon in the street did. 
They planned, pinted and scalked with their mouths hang, hung open as hoolet after hoolet sped up by ho- o- overhead. Mast on them had never been a hoolet seen at night. Them had never seen a hoolet even at night. Mr. Dursley, who, who never had a perfectly ordinary, ordinary hoolet free morning. He yelled uh, Is there no wise in this? Oh, there is. Okay. He yelled at five different folk. He made a wean important telephone calls and reared at a few ma folk. He was in an awful good to until good tid until dinner time when he thought he'd stretch his legs and gain out and buy himself a snaster father Baxter's shop owner over the road. He'd forgot all about the folk and cloaks until he passed a hundred of them mixed to the Baxter's. He guided them a cravat look as he passed. He didn't ken why, but something about them f- fashed him. These lot were whispering and excited voices as well, and he couldn't see a single skeleton. It was on his way back past the carrying a muckle donut in a poke that he got a quick look on what they were saying. The potters, the rich youngs, you what I heard, eh, they're laddie Harry. Miss Dursley stopped did. His bluet ran, his blood, bluet ran cold with fear. He kick her back at the whisper, whispers. As if you want to say something to them, but thought he'd better not. Better not. No. Better not. Yeah. He mashed back. He gnashed back. He gnashed back over the road, hurried up to his office, smashed at his secretary. Snashed. What are these words? He gnashed back over the road, hurried up to his office, snatched at his secretary, not to disturb him. Grabbed his telephone and had just about finished dialing his home number when he changed his mind. He put the receiver back down and clapped him Moza, thinking, nah, he wouldn't be daft. Pata was an ordinary name. He was sure there were hundreds of folk called Pata who's had a son called Harry when he, that was kind of southern but whatever okay i'm actually i'm picturing in my head what's going on too because i've read this so many times that i know what's going on and i can actually understand the scottish so this is so weird anyway when he thought about it he wasn't even sure his never never was called harry his nephew nephew was called harry he'd never even seen the laddie it might have been harry or hamish it might have been harvey or hamish there was now, pint and f- fashion, fashion, Mrs. Darsley, she was all always black, affronting all unimagined of her sister. He didn't uh, blame her if he had had a sister like her, yawn, but all the same, the folk and cloaks. He found it f- far harder to think about drills that afternoon, and when he left the building at five o'clock, he was so worried that he worked, walked straight into somebody who's outside the door. Sorry, <clears throat> he grunted 
as the torty old manny stumbled and near fell down. It was a wee second before Mr. Dursley realized that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't think Pitchwoof at all being just about cobbed down to this ground. It was just the opposite. His face burst into a braid smile and he said a pearly voice that made folk pass him by glower. Didn't be scary, my dear sir, for nothing can vex me the day. Rejoice, for you know who has gone on at least. Even muggle like yourself should be having a party to celebrate these blath blath day. An old man bit, pit his arms around the Mr. Durst's belly, crooned him for a wee minute, and then walked off. Mr. Dursley stood thrilled to the spot. A complete stranger had just come up and carried him unto him. He thought he had been called a muggle to whatever that was. He was fled. He hurried to his car and had him, hoping it was all his imagination, which he had never heard hoped before because he didn't have with imagination. As he poured into the driveway at number four, the first thing he saw, and it did this time, this Tidna and it did his Tidna good was a tabby cat he'd spotted in the morning. It was no sitting on the garden wall. He was sure it was the same one. It had the same chem marks around its in. Ah, you go, said Mr. Ursley lewdly. The baldrins didn't budge. It just gave him a conaptuous look. Did cats normally carry on this way? Mr. Dursley wondered, trying to keep the hild. He got into the house. He tells himself to say nothing to his wife. Mrs. Dursley had had a fun, ordinary black day. Uh, over there, tea, she better away about Mrs. Next Boer's problems with her doctor and who dirtily had learned a new word, nut. Mr. Dursley tried to carry on just as normal. When Mister when Dudley was pit to his bed, he got been the front room in time to hear the least, least report on the evening news. And finally, bird watchers and all the arts had reported that the nation's hoolets haven't been themselves the day. Although hoolets normally hunt at night and are hardly ever seen in the daylight, hundreds of the birds have been seen flowing on ways since day on day. Dawn or day. Experts have had, n- a- had no idea why the hoolets have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newsreader couldn't hide a grain. Off a mistress. And no, over to Jim McGuffin with the weather. Are we gonna get any more rain showers on Hulitz the night, Jim? Well, Ted, said the weather manny. I didn't cane about that, but it's no just Hulitz. Hulitz have been acting a wee bit strange today. Viewers as far apart as Kent, Shrugshire, and Dundee have been phoning in to tell me that instead of the rain I promised yesterday, they had a blue shooting stars. 
maybe folk have been having their bonfire night early. It's not no to next week, but I can promise it'll be a week not week not the night. Week night the night. Okay. Mr. Dursley slept frozen in his armchair. Shooting stars all over Breton. Hootlets flame like in daylight. Fearless some folk in cloaks gone all about the place. And a whisper. A whisper about the porches. Mrs. Dursley came in the front room carrying two cups of tea. Two cups of tea. It was good. He didn't have to say something to a wee bit feared he cleared his throat <laughs> cleared his throat <laughs> or petunia dear you've now heard something for your sister later have you as he knit he as he kent she would be as he knit who she would be mrs zersley was black affronted ever ah they normally pretended she didn't have and have a sister no, she said sharply. Why? Uncle stuff on the news, Mr. Dursley mumped. Hullets, shooting stars, and there was a motion of funny-looking folk at tone the day. So what? Smashed Mrs. Dursley. Well, I just thought maybe it was something to do with the kin, uh, her, her lot. Mrs. Dursley sucked her tea through but foodless lips. Mr. Dursley wondered if he dared to tell her he'd heard the name Porter, but dared he, dared he didn't. <laughs> Instead, he said, as jocular as he w- was able, the laddie, he'd been about ages with Dudley, no? Would he, no? Now, dude, said Mrs. Dur- Dursley coarsely. What's he called again? Howard, is it, no? Harry, a common scummersome name as far as I'm concerned. Oh, <laughs> said Mr. Dursley, his heart sinking horribly. Ah, you're, you're ragged on us, dear. He didn't say another word about it as they got up in the stairs to the bed. While Mrs. Dursley was in the bedroom, Mr. Dursley crept it over to the bedroom window and kicked down into the front garden. The Browdens was all there, and his it was glowing down Pravalone as though it was waiting on something. Was he just imagining all this? Could all of this have anything to do with the potters? If he did, if it if it did, if it got out that they were related to a pair of well he didn't think he could ha- thought it. The Dursleys got into bed, Mrs. Dursley fell over into sleep quickly, but Mr. Dursley lay awake, turning it all over in his head. His least comforting thought before he fell over was that even if the parties were part of the, this, there was no reason for them to come over near him and Mrs. Dursley. The parties knit. The parties knit fine well. Which he and Petunia thought about them, and their coined. He couldn't uh, see who he and Petunia could get tangled up in anything that mightn't be gone on. 
He got it and turned over. It couldn't affect them. He couldn't have been more wrong. Wrong. Mr. Darcy might have been delving into a fitful sleep, but the boundaries on the wall. What is a boundary? I know it's a cat. Is it an animal? Is boundaries 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 boundaries? Okay. Um, on the wall outside was not rabbits at all. It was, but it wasn't a rabbit. It was a cat. Anyway, it was sitting still as a stucky. It's even soiled on the four corners, private loan. It didn't even blink when a car door slammed in the next street, nor when the hoolets flickered by overhead. In fact, it was near midnight before the bodrons budged at all. A man appeared in the corner. The bodrons had been watching, appeared sat suddenly and soonlessly you'd have thought he'd just popped up under the ground. The padron's tail jinked in its even ground gnarly. Nothing like this man had ever been seen on private loan. He was long, skiddy-malicky, and awfully old, gone by the silly on his hair and beard, which were both, both long in Octay, tucking to his belt, he was wearing a long gown, a purple cloak that ditched the groomed and high-heeled buckle bits. His blue eyes were lit, bright and glistened, white, half-moin glasses and his nib was awfully long and squint, as though it had been broken at least twice. Twice? At least twice. This man's name was Albus Stumble Dix. <laughs> Stumble dykes didn't <laughs> okay. Um, didn't didn't it seem to kind of that he was he had just arrived in the street where Alvin Van his name to his bits wasn't welcome. He was busy hawking hawking a boot in his cloak. Looking for something, but he did seem to keen. He was being watched because he kicked it up suddenly at the bulldrons that was uh, glowering at him for the other end of the street. For some reason, the sight of the bulldrons seemed to amuse him. He googled, he giggled, and he giggled, he gigged, he giggled, and mumbled, "I should have known." He he gli- gig- giggled, he giggled and mumbled. I should have known. He phoned. He phoned with his, which he was looking. Oh, he phoned what he was looking for, and his inside pooch. It seemed to be a silly cigarette letter. 
He flicked it open, held it up into the air and clicked it. The near street lamp goed out with a wee poop. He clicked it again. The night lamp flickered into darkness. Twelve, twelve times he clicked the pre-pitoter until the only lights left on the whole streets were two poor lights in the distance which were the inn and the bondrons watching him. If anybody kicked out in the window, even the shop ad, maybe Mrs. Dursley, they wouldn't be able to see if anything was happening down on the pavement. Dumbled <laughs> dubby tikes. <laughs> dumb dumby um dumb dumby dykes slipped slipped the pit outer back inside the cloak and set to wolf off down the street toward number four where he was he sat down on the way next to the boundaries. He didn't look at it, but after a moment he spoke at it, to it. Fancy saying you're here, Mr. Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tabby, but it was it was a way. Instead he was smiling at a rather dour looking woman with well with wearing square glasses exactly the shape of the conics the cat had had around its eye. She was wearing a cloak and on an emerald eye. Black hair was drawn into a tight bun. He, she looked grey toasty. How did you know it was me? She inspired. My dear professor, I've never seen a baldress sit that straight. You'd be straight yourself if you'd been sitting on a brick wall all day, said Professor McGonagall. All day? Were you no towards celebrating? I think I passed about a dozen feasts and parties on my way home. Professor McGonagall smiled, snarled angrily. Oh, hi, anybody celebrating all right, she said impatiently. You'd think they'd be a bit more careful, but now even the muggles have noticed something's going on. It was on the news. She got to head back at the Dursleys, the front room window. I heard it, flocks of hulets, shooting stars. Well, we're no completely glad it. They were bound to notice something. Shooting stars down in the Kent, I'll bet you that was Dundalus Diggle. He'd always been on a bit of a grumble. You can't blame them, said Dumbledikes gently. We've had heartless anything to celebrate for 11 years. I can that, said Miss Professor McGonagall crabbedly. But that's not no reason to love the head. To lose the head. For for have been hit, wrecked medans out on the rendon and braid daylight, not even dressed in a muggle class and exchanging clishmock clovers. She flung a sharp sideways glance at Dumbledike's here, as though hoping he was gonna tell her something, but he didn't say she carried on. A fine thing it would be if on the very day, you know who, you know what, it says you know what, uh, seems to have disappeared at long last. The muggles found out about us all. I suppose he really is that way, Dumbledikes. It certainly looks that way, said Dumbledikes. We have <laughs> It's Dubby Dykes too. <laughs> okay. It certainly looks that way, said Dubby Dykes. 
we have makal to be thankful for. Do you want a sherbet melon? Lemon, a what? A sherbet lemon. There are kind of muggle sweetie I'm rather fond of. No thanks," said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't think this was the right time for sherbet lemons. As I say, even if you know what is what, my dear Professor. Surely a wise like buddy like yourself even called him by his name. All this, you know what, have us for eleven years. I have been trying to persuade folk to call him by his right name, Voldemort. Professor McGonagall flinched. But Dumbledakes, <laughs> what was ups- unsticking to Sherbert Lemons, didn't seem to notice. It all gets so confusing if you keep saying, you know what. It, I have never seen only reason to be frightened of saying Voldemort's name. I can yes have now. I can you have now. Said Professor McGonagall, spooting off, suiting, off bidding, off feeling, off impressed. But you're different. Anybody kins, kins you're the only one, you know, ugh, all right, Voldemort is frightened of. You're making me sound grandier than I am, said Double Dykes calmly. I mean, Dubby Dykes being grand, yeah. Voldemort had powers I will never have. And then because you're to will noble to use them. It's lucky, Stork, if no, I've no had a ready like this since Madame Pomfrey found, told me she liked me my new leg warmers. Chris McGraw shot a sharp look at Dubby Dykes and said, The hoolets are nothing to the rumors that are fling about. You can, what about anybody singing? About why he's disappeared? About what finally snapped him? It seemed that Professor McGonagall had racked the pint, pint she was most anxious about to discuss. The worked reason she had been awaiting all day on a cold Stun why for neither as a baldrins nor as a woman had she gone Dumbledike's sick a piercing glowering as she did know. It was plain that whatever anybody was saying, she wasn't gonna believe it until Dubby Dykes felt her it was true. Telt her it was true. Dubby Dykes, however na who have na who who am yeah, who have na was picking out another sherbet lemon and didn't answer. What they're saying, she pressed on, is that last night, Voldemort turned up in the Godric's house. Hole. He got there to find the Potters. The rumor is that Lily and James are, are, that they're dead. Dumbledike. <laughs> Dykes pow- bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gawped. Lily and James, I cannot believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Oh, oh, Albus. Dumbledikes. I keep saying Dumble. Dubby Dykes raxed out and clapped her on the shoulder. I can, I can. He said heavily. I can, I, okay. Professor McGonagall's voice trebled as she carried on. That's Noah. They're saying he tried to kill the porters. We and Harry, but he couldn't. 
he couldn't kill that that wee laddie. Nobody knows why or who, but they're saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, Voldemort's power somewhere broke, and that's why he's gone. Dumbledike's gave a Dowie nod. It's it's true, bum bum old Professor McGonagall. After all he's done, all the folk he's killed, he couldn't kill a wee laddie. It just bum-bazes me. Oh, all the things to step and stop him, but who in the name of heaven did Harry survive? He can, we can mainly guess. We might never know, said Dumbledikes. Professor McGonagall poured out a lace handkerchief and ditched her and dicked, ditched yeah, her in a blow her glasses. Dumbledikes had a muckle sniff as he turned a goon watch to his pooch and kicked kicked at it. It was a gay uncle watch. It had twelve twelve hands but none on numbers. Instead we planets were flitting around the edge. It must have been made sense to Dumbledikes though, because he pitted back in his pooch and said Hagrid's late I suppose it was him that told you oh, I'd be here am I right I said Professor McGonagall and didn't uh, suppose you're gonna tell me why you're here of all places I came to bring Harry to his auntie and uncle they're the only family he hadn't left no you don't mean, you cannot mean the folk that live here, that bite here, cried Professor McGonagall, loping to her feet and pinting at number four. Dump, Dobby Dykes, you cannot. I've been watching them all day. You couldn't find the folks that are less, la- less like us. And they have this son. I saw him kicking his mother on the way to the street. Getting green for sweeties. Harry Potter came and bide here. It'd be guide good for him," said Dumbledore Dykes firmly. His auntie and uncle will be able to explain an- anything to him when he's all older. I've screwed. I've screwed. Screwed them a letter. A letter," repeated Professor McGonagall faintly, sitting back down on the way. Really, Dumbledikes, you thinks we can explain all this in a letter? These folk will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if the day was was na Kent as Harry Potter Day in the future. There will be bulks screaming about Harry. Irvy Barn and our world will keen his name. What can his name? That's right, said Dumb Dykes, looking awfully seriously over the tap on his off moon glasses. It would be in to turn only Laddie's head. Famous for he can walk and talk, famous for something he wanna even mind. Can you no know, see he'll be far better grown up in a in a way for that until he's ready for to handle it. Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed, 
and then said, Aye, aye, right. Of course. But how is the laddie getting here, Dumbledikes? She used her cloak suddenly as though she thought he might have Harry. She eat his cloak suddenly as if she thought he might have Harry hiding in the boat. Blow it. Hagrid's bringing him. You think it wise, wise, to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dabby Dykes. I'm no, I'm not saying he's no gonna hard a course or corn, said Professor McGonagall thornly. But you cannot pretend he's not a horser. He does tend to. What is that? A large rumbling sound had cowped the silence around the around them. Ink grew steadily louder as they kicked up and down the street for some sign of headlights. It grew into a lewd roar as they both looked up at the lift and a muckled motorbike fell out to the air and landed on the road in front of them. If the motorbike was muckled, it was nothing to the man sitting astride it. He was about twice as long as only any normal man and at least five times as braid. Five times as braid? He just looked over big to... Looked our big to be allowed and say ramshackle. Lang taggles of bushy black hair and beard of... Had mast on the face, he had horns of the size of dustbin lids, and his feet in the leather bits were like body garbage. In his muckle, muscular arms, he was holding a bunny of bodies. Hagrid said, "Dumb Dubby Dykes, son who lived, at least, at least, and what do you have got that bonafide for? Got a lend on it, Professor Dubby Dykes, sir," said the giant. Skimbling cangily off the mountain bike as he spent off young Sears Black, he've, he've got him, sir. Now, problems were there. NASA, who's uh, flattered, but uh, got him out and uh, right before the muggles started swarming all over it. He fell asleep as we were flying over Bristol. W. Dykes and Professor McGonagall bowed for it over the bubble platties. Inside, just just visible, was a wee barney laddie of sound asleep. Under a tuft of jet black hair over his forehead, they could see an uncool, uncool shaped cut, like a jagged lightning. Is that where Professor where, where the whispered Professor McGonagall? Aye, said Debbie Dykes. He'll always have that scar. Could ya know to something about it, Debbie Dykes? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in useful. I have a massive amount of mass- my left nap. That's a perfect map of the London underground. Well, guess him here, Hagrid. We'd better get the, this over with. Debbie Dykes turned Harry on in his arms and turned toward the double Darcy's house. Could it, could it no sig cheerio to him, sir? Speared Hagrid. He bent his muckled tussy head over Harry and gave him what must have been a gay, yoky, whiskery kiss. Then suddenly Hagrid let a yowl like a wounded dog. Whoosh! Hush! Professor McGonagall. 
You'll waken the muggles. <laughs> Sorry, sobbed Hagrid, taking out a muggle spot in a handkerchief and laying his face in it. But Hickok <laughs> cannot stand it. Lily and James dead and purely Harry off, off to the land with muggles. Aye, aye, it's an, all very sad. But keep this head on. Keep the head on, Hagrid, or we'll be found. Professor McGonagall whispered, clapping Hagrid Canley on the arm as Dumbledore stepped over the wee garden wall and walked to the front door. He put Harry softly down on the doorstep, tan a cat letter out of his cloak, tucked it inside Harry's platies, and then came back to the other toile. For a hell a minute, the... Three of them stood and looked at the wee blanket. Hagrid's shoulders shook. Professor McGonagall's blank, blanked fiercely, and the shrinking light that usually shone for Dumbledore's in in seemed to have died away. Well, said Dumbledore's long last. That's that. We've we've no business staying here. We might as well gain and join the join the celebration. I said Hagrid in a gay, muffled voice. I'd better get out of here with the spike. Good night, Professor McGonagall, Professor Dumbledore, sir. Ditching his green greeting in on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself onto the motorbike and kicked the engine into life. With a rare roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. I will see you soon, no doubt, Miss Professor McGonagall, said Dumbledore, nodding to her. Miss McGonagall blew her neb in reply. Dubby Dykes turned and walked back down the street. On the corner, he stopped and turned onto the cellar, turned, turned out, out the cellar protester. He clicked the it once and. Twelve balls of light sped back to their street lamps. Said that private loan suddenly looked orange and he could make out a tabby cat moving around the corner at the other end of the street. He could just see a bundle of platies on the step of number four. Good luck, Harry, he mumbled. He burrowed soon and with a swish of his cloak he was gone. A brace kettled the wee kept hedges of privet lawn, which lay wishing and twig under the ink black lift, the fur, the fur least place you would expect astounding things to happen. Harry Potter round over inside his platies with a, without waking up. Yin, yin, we ha, closing the letter aside him, and he slept on, no kin. He was special. No kidding, he was famous. No kidding, he would be wakened in a few hours' time by Mrs. Dursley's scratch as she scratch as she opened the front door to put out the book Baldas, nor that he would spend the next few weeks being poked and prod by his cousin Dudley. He couldn't ken that at this very moment, folk meeting in secret all across over the country were lifting their glasses and singing in soft, cooling voices to Harry Potter, the laddie will live.